This is One Bills Live, presented by Kaleida Health. All right, fresh off the draft, Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you, kicking off another week of One Bills Live here on a Monday. And we are chock full of reaction, review, grading, and whatever else you might have in mind on the Bills 2023 draft class, which numbers just six players, but um, some jockeying around, some moving around on day three, three trades in all, all of which were down the board by GM Brandon Bean, added two sixth-round draft picks to the 2024 draft, and currently holds nine picks with an anticipated compensatory Coming Buffalo's way next spring, they could have 10 picks in the 2024 draft. But we're focused on the 2023 draft, and we will be doing that here now. We'll also be doing it with the general manager himself, Brandon Bean, stopping by in about 15 to 20 minutes. So we look forward to that conversation. So stay tuned for that. And uh, I don't know, Steve. I just – I think that while – There are some Bills fans out there that may not fully embrace what happened over the course of the weekend. I think we can all definitively say the offense is in a much better place than they were before this weekend, at least as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Uh, I like, you know, Dalton Kincaid. I've heard it from a couple of different sources that are into this. There's people who think he's the best pass catcher in this draft. Regardless of position of any kid in the cl- class. This guy catches the ball better. And I, and you watch his highlights, you can see it. The guy makes contested catches, red zone catches, sideline catches, high points the ball really well. He runs really well. Um, so he's going to be a weapon and runs good routes, the whole the whole thing. Uh, he's not a big earth grader in the run game. He's he's I don't know if he's a, he's not a liability in the run game, but he's certainly not really good at it. But you don't and I heard somebody say that, yeah, you don't ask a sports car to tow your boat. Um, they'll let him do what he does. That was Doug Farrar who was on yeah. with uh, Jeremy this morning. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very happy with the Kincaid pick. It was a really good – and they had their pick of all the tight ends, and they chose him. So, I, um, I agree with it um, totally. The, the kid can play. And we knew he'd get a good guy. No, Cyrus Torrance, I'm shocked he was there at 59. Uh, really good player. Yeah, we surmised the reason he lasted that long is because, in essence, he's a guard only. Yes. And so some other players with a little more position flex came off the board in front of him. But you're getting a guy who's going to be – who's got a really good chance to win the starting job at right guard. And I know this, too. The Bills fans and and maybe the coaching – well, not so much the coaching staff or the Bills front office. um, Bills fans were a little cool – on Spencer Brown and the season he had last year. He came off of back surgery and had an in-season injury as well last year. He was he was dragging around some luggage and didn't play well. It showed. And I think the Bills, through the offseason, free agency, and uh, this draft most notably, have, said, have shown a lot of faith in him. Mm-hmm. Um, Kessenberry's back as a backup tackle. Alec Anderson's back uh, in the same role he was in last year as a rookie. So I think they do have some real 
tangible faith in what Spencer Brown's going to bring to the table this year. They didn't bring in really any competition well, for him at all. Let's not forget, Tommy Doyle's coming back from ACL knee surgery. So, I mean, there's a guy that was a fifth-round draft choice of this football team also and did get time on the field as a rookie, as a sixth offensive lineman, you know, overload situations, that kind of thing. Yeah, he caught the touchdown pass, that kind of thing. Right, in the playoff game against the Patriots. Um, so, but yeah. with respect to Kincaid, Steve, this is the way I view it. A lot of Bills fans felt that a number two receiver was needed for this offense. I would argue that they got that in Kincaid. First of all, are you looking at those canoes for, for feet there? <laughs> the kid's got like size 14 shoes. He's got right. 10 and a quarter inch hands. They're bigger than Josh's hands. He's one of those guys. He's a big, he's got four he's got career drops in his college career. Yeah. Four. I love that. Um, I really think that for a team that some perceived needed a true number two receiver in the pecking order behind Diggs, got that in this kid. Now, you may not see that in weeks one, two, three, or four, but I think by the time you get to week eight, nine, 10, 11, this kid's going to be making plays. I think one of the things, too, is I think the Bills, plays. Bills more so than any other team. Well, Bills playing against the Chiefs all the time and in the AFC, when you you got to you know go look at Travis Kelsey once a year, at least usually twice a year, you're thinking, man, that, that gives us problems that, is, that are hard to overcome because of the matchup. Do you, do you play him like a cor- with a corner? Do you play him with a safety? You, there's no way you can guard him with a linebacker, a Travis Kelsey. This kid is like that. Um, he is a guy who is a matchup problem for defense. You've got to put a guy that can cover on him. And I don't think there's a linebacker who can do it. Safety, maybe. Corner, okay, give it a shot. But he's going to outsize most corners significantly. Yeah, he's six three and a half. He's a problem. And I think the Bills know the kind of problem he presents because they're in the AFC and they got to face these guys. So they said, let's give me, give me one of those, particularly a guy who's really good at it. I don't mean, this isn't a guy who's, yeah, he catches the ball. This isn't like a Darnell Washington, the big tight end from, you know, from Georgia, who's a really snow plow in the in the run game this is a guy is a pass catcher big athlete big body and a tough run after the catch guy that's exactly what you're looking for I don't know what he's going to develop into um, but you got to think too he's going to be a guy where they're going to have some plans for him and from what they faced with other teams and having a defensive minded co- head coach you know I just think I think they love the problems <laughs> that they're going to present to people well, and, because they face those problems. Right, and just to kind of show you what a matchup weapon he was, within the scope of the Utah offense, this is a guy that pretty much ran the full route tree in a Utah yeah. offense. Yeah, so was, I think what that affords you as an evaluator is a more accurate evaluation as to how versatile he can be in the scope of your offense. If he's running everything under the sun – even if your offense only specializes in a certain variety of those routes, you know he can do all of them. Right. And it was interesting because you watch Utah on tape, and we're watching them here as, as we're talking. You, 
you got to turn the tape on, go to the end of the play so you find him, then go back and find out where he was lined up, you know, in those all 22 pictures, because he's everywhere. It's not like, okay, who's the tight end on the right there? That's him. It's not. It, it's like never him. He's like, oh, he's at the top of the screen. Now he's at the bottom of the screen. Now he's in the slot. Now he's at the wing. Now he's on the line of scrimmage with a wing behind him. Uh, so the versatility he has shown and being able to be moved around and, and run stuff out of there, and um, it's, it's a plus for him because he's got that experience. Certainly uh, Ken Dorsey's going to you know, have all those buttons to push in the offense, and, uh, and good for him. I, 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 that was a good, really good pick. We knew coming in that the tight ends were going to be – there's going to be a bunch of them, and the Bills got the guy – obviously the guy they really, really wanted um, – we didn't talk too much about them taking a tight end. I, I was caught a little bit off guard by it, except that for the four picks, 20, 21, 22, and 23, all the top four wide receivers are off the board, one right after the other. Four well, picks that in a was, row. That was four because uh, Smith and Jigba started the run at 20. Right. And then it just went from there. 20, 21, 22, and 23, all four of those picks were wide outs. Um, the only time we discussed Kincaid and some of the other top tight ends was at the Combine with Brandon Bean. We raised this, the question to him because I said to him, I said, look, where you're sitting at 27, there's a pretty good chance you're not going to get the pick of the litter at receiver. So in a class of tight ends that's considered the best in a decade, can you pivot there and get a receiving option that you want? And he kind of, you know, he gave us the best answer he could back in February or early March, right? Um, you know, because they're still finalizing their board then. But I think that's just what he did. The receiver value clearly was not there. And so he pivoted and got the best tight end in the draft. Right. Maybe the best pass catcher in the draft. I mean, four drops, Steve, in five years. I mean, you're talking about a guy that got targeted almost 400 times. And I'll say He's this. got four drops? And I know this, when you go down and look at him, you go down and skim his highlights at Utah, you're always going to get the best plays. There's play after play after play where he's going up high between two guys or with a guy on his back or in front over the top of a guy and plucking the ball off. Uh, the guy grabs the ball. And that's, you know, for me, I don't know if anybody else believe, thinks the same way. I, that, that was a problem last year for the Bills. They dropped too many passes. Their drops and their turnovers kept him out of the Super Bowl to me. Um, that plus, you know, the injuries. So stuff that was within their control, the turnovers and the drops, mm -hmm. you know, I, I don't think that fell on deaf ears. I think they're saying, give me a guy who catches it and catches it really, really well. Eight catches at 25 yards or more last year. One of three tight ends in the FBS with 16 or more forced missed tackles. I mean – there is run after catch here, too, which is an area where the Bills have ranked low over the years, too. You and I have talked about this on the air, and we think part of that is because Josh is a put-it-on-you receiver. Right. You know, he'll put it right between your numbers. He's not a quarterback that necessarily leads guys into space all that much, so that's part of it. Um, I think this guy's going to help in that area, too. So not only sure-handed, but yards after catch. Right. And yeah, there's a, there's I think a lot that's to an love. underrated quality. Yeah, there's a lot to like. Um, 
and certainly it all has to, you know, you gotta, guys got to work hard and come in and get acclimated, stay healthy and get on the field. But, um, you know, it gives them the flexibility with 12 personnel as well. Because uh, Dawson Knox, there's no reason to think they've been unhappy with him either. So uh, certainly 12 personnel this is a different crew than what the Bills have had in recent past. Yeah, the Bills were second to last in the league in 12 personnel usage. I think it was down around 6% last year so they used it as little as anybody in the league i think arizona was the only team that used it less and meanwhile there were teams like kansas city who were second in the league in usage of 12 personnel now that doesn't mean that was the formation they used more than any other i i'm almost certain that kansas city's most popular formation was 11 right which was the same case for the bills but when it came to 12 personnel usage specifically the, the Chiefs were near the top of the league, and I think top of the league is like 20 to 24%. It's still not a majority of what teams do, but when they did turn to it, they used Kelsey and Noah Gray, and they used it very effectively. They also well, used 13 personnel a good deal. Right. The, the problem with going 12 and 13 personnel is it's hard enough to find one really good tight end, let alone two. Well, the Bills and, might have two now. Right. They're one of the few two teams who might. So play to your strengths. Use what you have. That's right. And so that it, there's reason to believe it. May, we may see it. And I thought Brandon kind of phrased it perfectly. I think he did it on Thursday night when he spoke to the media after Kincaid was made the pick. He said, yeah, it's kind of 11 and a half personnel. Yeah. <laughs> because really, Kincaid is kind of a tight receiver. He's not a tight end. He's not a wide receiver. He's somewhere in between. And – that's why I think, you know, if you thought – if you out there as a Bills fan thought the Bills needed receiver number two in the pecking order added to this roster, you got it. It's just that it's a tight end. It may be a little bit of, you know, the Kelsey or Mike Gesicki in Miami kind of syndrome or maybe and maybe a little bit of the um, Gronkowski syndrome where they, we've seen over the last few years. Um but I, I don't think there's any question that both sides of the football, you want to get guys who can play and be versatile. Kincaid's a very versatile tight end, and it's, he, he tilts more on the side of the passing game, which is where the league is headed anyway. And I think it's, it's telling. You know, The bigger the matchup you can get for a guy who can run routes and catch, the better you're going to be because as of now, there ain't no 6'5", 250-pound corners out there. Mm-hmm. So let's go. And just to paint the picture, you know, we talked about how good this tight end class was. Some argued the best in a decade. Nine tight ends were selected in the first three rounds of the draft. Kincaid in the first, five more in the second, three more in the third round. It's the most in the first three rounds of the NFL draft since 1967. Nine in the first three rounds. Fifteen overall in the entire draft. So... But nine in the first three rounds, that's rare. And I think it just speaks to the strength of the tight end class this year. So, yeah. And the Bills arguably got the best of the bunch. So that's good. Um, we're, we, phone lines are open. Uh, we will be talking with Brandon Bean here soon. Uh, but we will take a phone call. But you let us know what your thoughts are on the Bills' 2023 draft class. Uh, what's your biggest takeaway from the draft 
as a whole. Any and anything is on the table for you at 803-0551-888-550-2550. Mark in West Seneca is waiting for us. What do you got for us, Mark? Uh, hey, Chris. Hey, Steve. Uh, I'll give you my opinion, and you can tell me if I'm being real or if I'm being a little too negative. Uh, I'm not a person who likes tight end, number one. Um, but the way the board fell, and um, there's no denying this kid's talent. Uh, there's no denying the possible versatility he can afford the offense. Uh, it shows you why Brandon Bean is so good at what he does. Uh, it, it made so much sense for him to pick this kid where he did. My trepidation comes from this. Um, I'm not a real big Dorsey guy yet. Give him the benefit of the doubt. It's only been one year. But I don't like the way the offense evolved last year. And I don't get to get into who he used, how he used them, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but that's one of my problems. Hope, hopefully it isn't. But the Bills also, as a team, for several years now, we have not developed a short to mid-range passing game over the middle of the field. And it's not even that we haven't been able to do it well. We haven't tried. And hopefully this is going to change that. And I understand this kid uh, has the ability to get downfield. But where he lines up and his position lends itself to the fact that most of his work, I'm guessing, is going to be in the middle of the field, short to intermediate passing uh, distances. And I just hope and pray that they're able to finally utilize that because, in my opinion, that's one of the biggest things missing from our offense, uh, no matter who we run into those areas. And we don't seem to really run anybody into those areas and throw the ball to them consistently. Um, and the last comment I'll make is I hope that in two years this does not signal the pushing out of Dawson Knox. I really like Dawson, and I like what he brings to the offense. So that's just what I was thinking about the whole thing. Thanks, guys. All right. Thanks, Mark. Um, All right, Mark. You want to take that, Steve? Uh, yeah. I <clears throat> The development of the passing game, I'm, I'll say this. There were times, and, it, and I think it – I think our expectations were really, really skyrocketing last year with the, the preseason run-up and the way the season started out, no question. The first couple of weeks of the season, the Bills were absolutely crushing people. The Rams, the defending champions. Then they get Tennessee, the number one seed in the AFC, and they thump them even worse. So they got off to this lightning start, and people were worried when it didn't go like that for the remainder of the entire regular season. I, I get it. Sometimes it felt like pulling teeth with this Bills offense, they still scored more points than than uh, 30 of the other teams in the league. Uh, they scored points a ton, um, and they did have a really top-notch offense. And if you're worried about where they distribute the football or some aspects of the field that they didn't utilize enough of, you're right. Maybe it is personnel. Maybe they need a tight end that, that Josh – trusts more or maybe they need different running backs um, or whatever the reason could be or is or whatever I'm pretty sure Ken Dorsey does have some have the ability to draw plays up that are for the middle of the field 15 yards down the field yeah I get that if they're not using it or not doing it there's a multitude of reasons for it some of it could be Ken Dorsey some of it could be Josh Allen and some of it could be the guys around Josh uh, it's never I don't, I don't think it's proper to blame any one of those things. But when you start to see it like, like Mark and Wes Seneca thinks, yeah, it's a, it's a thing. 
Maybe this tight end is a nod to that, but I, I doubt it. I doubt it. I think he was the best player there. He's got a skill set they can use. Maybe they'll threaten the middle of the field or some areas of the field where they they haven't done it enough. Uh, I don't think it goes as it may, but I don't think it goes as deep as what you're saying. Uh, I don't think I think that's more of a philosophical decision, and sometimes it's a play by play decision because Josh. Uh, I think that's you're standing back at ten thousand feet making an, making an assumption about what happened last year during the regular season. I don't know if you can do that. I think the league is a week by week league, and when you come out and things happen for different reasons, like when the, all of a sudden it's been three weeks since they've hit a shot over the middle to a a, a wide receiver, well it. I think it has more to do with who they played the last three weeks than it does some philosophical or deficiency in their personnel yeah. or their scheme. And I would argue that Cole Beasley, the first three years he was here, was pretty consistent over the middle target in this passing game. And when he was not here anymore, there seemed to be a deficiency there. And at times, this offense <clears throat> found it tough, tougher to beat the blitz with easy throws. Um, part of that's Josh's decision-making and part of that's what's available to him. And I think Kincaid, knowing how to find space and leverage defenses, he seems to have an innate ability to do that, I think is going to provide Josh with a lot more easy-button answers in the scope of this passing game when it's third and four, third and six, somewhere in third and medium, uh, to beat blitzes or whatever other exotic third-down looks teams are going to throw at him. And so I think he can be an answer in that way. And I would tend to think that a lot of his targets do come in the short to intermediate area first, primarily. And then if there are times where they can work him down the seams or even outside, you know, as an isolated guy on the backside of a formation or something, then those will come to fruition as well. But I think this is a plug-and-play player uh, in the pecking order of Buffalo's receiving core. Let's go back to the phones and to Kevin in Hamburg. What do you got for us, Kevin? Hey, guys. How you doing? Thanks for taking my call. Sure. I love the tight end. I think he's awesome. He reminds me a lot of, um, I can see, Bill, like, reminds me a little bit of Martin Bavaro from the Red and the Giants, how Bill he was, and a little bit of Don Warren, who used to play for the Redskins when they first beat us in the Super Bowl. But he, he's awesome. The only thing I question and I'm worried about, and I've talked to different Bills fans in stores and supermarkets, and they're worried about not taking Drew Sanders after Jack Campbell was shockingly out of the blue, taken by Detroit. I just, that's the one I've taught to different people, and you'll probably hear it on the phone here or tweet, or probably hear it if you're out in the store. Hey, Brownie, they should have taken Drew when they had a chance. That's the only one I hope don't come back to bite us in the butt. Yeah, I get it. I, I do get it, Kevin, and thanks for the call. Bavaro, I think, is more of the traditional tight end who could. I mean, he was a big dude. He was yeah, like Bavaro 270 was, pounds. I mean, yeah, he was I, a huge man, right? Yeah, I kind of – yeah, I don't see that. And he's not nearly the athlete that Kincaid Yeah, is. I don't see Kincaid – yeah, I do not see that comparison, Bavaro, with Kincaid. I Kincaid's mean, a much better him. pass catcher. He was a catcher. big, hulking guy. Bavaro was a big, thick, gritty, down-in-the-dirt tight end. Um, Kincaid is the other end of that spectrum, right, to me. But still, if you get a guy who is as, means as much – to your team as Bavaro meant to that Giants team, yeah, you'll take it. Right. Drew Sanders was on the board in round two um, when the Bills were on the clock. He ultimately goes 67th overall to the Denver Broncos. 
So, I mean, yeah, you can make an argument for it, sure. Um, you know, what the Bills thought of him, I don't know, and we'll probably never know where they had him on their board. But, you know, the Campbell did go a lot earlier than anticipated, and I think it was an example of how wide-ranging the grades were on players. The vast majority of draft Knicks had him as, you know, a, a mid to late 40s pick, you know, somewhere in the second round. And he ultimately goes 18th overall. And that's what we heard from people with their ear to the ground talking to personnel executives. There are going to be some prospects that teams would take at 45 that another team might take at 15. Jack Campbell was the poster child for that sentiment. That's right. I'm. There's no telling. It could be, despite the importance and the, and the nature of how Tremaine Edmonds was acquired by this team and how high he was taken, it might be that they didn't want to invest that in a position that wasn't going to help where they wanted help, either premium position, as you could say, but you could say, you know, the guy they took, Osiris Torrance, isn't a premium position playing guard, but it's on the side of the ball that they were going to um, bolster this year, that mm-hmm. they were going to concentrate on. And the way the league is going, and you saw it, you can see it in the draft prospects list. There was like two guys playing inside linebacker in college football this last year that were 6'4 above, weighed 240 or more. Everybody is a small, fast athlete. And it's getting more and more prevalent that that's going to be what happens to the entire back end of a defense and the second level of a defense. They're all going to be athletes who can play corner, who can play safety, who can play linebacker. Corners are getting bigger. Safeties are getting bigger. Linebackers are actually getting smaller. They're all going to be the same guy. They have to cover more. Yeah, they're going to be the same guy out there. So I think that's where I'm, I'm oversimplifying, but that's where it's headed. Let's go to Dave in Florida next. Dave, what do you got for us? You're on One Bills Live. Yeah, how you guys doing today? Good, Dave. All right, listen, I'm not calling. The draft was great, okay? Buffalo did what they did. Kincaid, I think this guy's going to be great. But my bitch is the commentators that were on stage there. At the, yeah, I know Kansas City was highlighted every time they draft somebody. But they were with the Eagles. They were with the Jets because of Aaron Rodgers. And I got to see one clip of Kincaid, and after that, they just were giggling on the stage with each other when their picks are in. And, I, you know, I think that sucks. Okay? But you guys have a great day, and go Bills, and we're going to take them out for that bullshit. Thank you. Okay, Dave, thanks. Let's, uh, <laughs> let's keep an eye on the language, please. Keep, um, <laughs> keep a lid on your passion. Um, yeah, uh, look, I, I'll be the first to tell you I'd like them to go old school because it's an important moment for the kids that are actually getting drafted. So just play it straight down the middle and, you know, make the announcement, say the kid's name, move on, because it's their moment, not yours. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. there's a part of me that says, okay, you know, you got a fan up there announcing a pick. That's great. That's fine. But, you know, you got these offshoot commentaries, and it's just like, here's the- I mean, it's no, it's no Ed Molinaro from last year when they had to pretty much get the hook. And right. pull him off the Ed, stage. Move. Yeah, but here's the thing. I, yeah, Ed Marinero from last year. But I'll say this, and I'm not going to excuse it. I get it, too. You know, you didn't see any – you don't hear anything about the Buffalo Bills. You don't hear anything about the Jacksonville Jaguars. The Indianapolis Colts were 
in and out. Denver didn't, you know, I mean, some of these teams, you never hear anything about the Chargers. You rarely get any of extra stuff from them. But you get into Philly, Dallas, the Jets, the Giants. And now Kansas City. And Kansas City, of course, because it's in that city and they're the champions. You get down that list. There's a, a list of about eight teams that they wanted to focus on. Now, here's and here's why. One, they can prepare for it. They know they're going to get pull big numbers from great big television markets, and that's what's really they're after. I get it too. They're you know they yuck it up. They show that you know Dalton Kincaid. By the time they get to Buffalo at twenty five, even with the trade up, they're kind of done with the evening. It's eleven fifteen at night. Yeah. So <clears throat> as far as the broadcast goes, that's why you get to the situation where you're at. It's about the city the draft is in. It's about the big television market teams like New York. The, and, of course, the Jets played right into it with the Aaron Rodgers thing. Everybody else is an afterthought. Um, they're trying to make it interesting for, like, four hours. And it's a tough job. So, I get it. It's not for everybody. And if your team's not featured prominently, you're not going to get any attention on the broadcast. It's a long broadcast, and they've got to prepare stuff in advance in case the thing gets boring. And they prepare stuff for big television markets. That's, that's kind of the way it goes. I, I feel for you, Dave. You're right. <clears throat> but that's the way it's going to be. Not only this year, it's the way it's going to be in Detroit next year. And it's the way it was in Chicago. It's the way it was Cleveland. in Philly and Cleveland. That's just the way it is. Yeah. That's the way it is. And you've got to know what you're signing up for. We were remiss not to mention earlier that the Bills also have a new veteran running back on the roster, Latavius Murray, who signed his contract today. He was in a couple of weeks ago for a workout, and they signed him. As you know, the Bills did not draft a running back at all over the course of the weekend. Not that they really needed, you know, it wasn't like a pressing matter, but uh, Latavius Murray is on board. We'll discuss what that addition means when we return with more of your phone calls as well. Here on One Pills Live, presented by Collider Health, it's Buffalo Bills Radio. All right, welcome back to One Bills Live. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker, and look who slid in during the break. It's Bills General Manager Brandon Bean joining us after a very busy weekend. And apparently you don't like to take any time off because you just signed a running back this morning. So <laughs> uh, how you doing? You all right? Uh, yeah, we're doing good. We're doing good. I was, uh, that was actually done while we were still uh, drafting. Okay. Uh, oh, yeah. it, it was, uh, you know, I reached out to, uh, to his agent and uh, when it was on Saturday when I was like, listen, they're still – some backs I can draft. I said, but I, I could use some picks elsewhere, some different positions. If, if you'll go ahead and do this deal, uh, I won't draft the running back. So uh, Okay, so you did that so you'd know you wouldn't have to draft one yes. with any of the picks you had left at your disposal. Okay, yes. that's an interesting way. Have you ever done that before? Um, I don't think I've done it on the clock. I've had conversations where we said, if we don't draft one, is this the parameters of the deal? Um, mm -hmm. But this was like, tell me we have a deal um and we do then i'm not going to draft it back today i'm going to just okay. sign latavius right. it's very proactive I, I like that well it's just we we only had so many picks and yeah, right and so it was instead of taking you know a back down there towards the bottom let's just uh let's take latavius he's he brings great leadership and his his film quite candidly 
was better last year than it was the year before. I had talked to him last season after um, we had signed Duke Johnson. I was just like, man, there's going to be a log jam here. And I wasn't sure, you know, he's, he's 32, 33. I wasn't sure if, you know, he was about to go off the cliff. And so we brought him in a few weeks ago, went through the whole thing, and he just said he went through a different training regiment, got himself in, in a different condition, and felt last year better than he had felt in probably three or four what, years. What do you feel he has skill set-wise that prompted you to or drew you to him to add to the group? Yeah, he's a he's a big man. He's a big back. He's a tall, long. He's not just a low center grad. He's he runs with a you know a big forward lean. He's got good instincts and vision and feel. And I'm telling you, when Denver handed him the ball last year, he generally you know got two, three, four yards. And you know how many times do we end up in third and one, fourth and one? Maybe we're quarterback sneaking it. Maybe it's something else. Um, this would be a pretty good option to hand the ball to. Yeah, he's a little Adrian Peterson type guy, right? Yeah. Well, at least in terms of height, he is. Height, <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah, he's a big. He runs upright, but he runs big. He knows how. He knows the game and. Um, I tell you, I, like I told him, I was like, well, "Why did you? What made you look better last year than than what I saw the year before?" So uh, excited to uh, add him to our group. He's a big time pro leader. He's going to be great for for James and and Naheem and and and, and Damian as, as as kind of that big vet, veteran uh, mentor. Okay, so let's begin with the draft class, and we'll start obviously at the top with Kincaid. You made two player references Thursday night, and I want to put this in proper context so as not to put too much on Kincaid, but you you mentioned that there are elements of Kincaid's game that resemble what Cole do, do, did in space when he was here, uh, you know, leveraging defenses and stuff like that. And then you mentioned run-after-catch skills for Kincaid kind of mimic Kel what Kelsey does at that position to some degree, just those elements. We're not saying he's going to be Travis Kelsey yeah. or anything like that, but are those like the two most attractive things that drew you to, you know, valuing him where you did and going up to get him for that matter? Yeah, I mean, I think he's, an, he's a guy that can work the middle of the field for you. He, he played that F tight end, flex him out. Um, he's a good – to me, he's a good offset from what we already have in Dawson who plays more in line than, than flexed out. And what I was just trying to say is – this gives you another outlet. You know how many times uh, they're bringing pressure, uh, zero blitz, or you know they're 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 bringing more than we can block. And Josh would spit that ball out during Cole's time. Yeah. So he's not going to run out there uh, like Cole does and have the elite separation quicks. But he does have good separation quicks. Not at Cole's level, but Cole's you know five foot eight at right. lower to the ground. Um, but good hands, good feel. Some guys run themselves into coverage. They just don't have that feel of where the hole in zone is. This guy has a natural feel. You see it over and over. That's what I was referring to. And then, yeah, he's, he provides um, some rack ability. I'm not going to compare him to Kelsey. I never – that didn't come out of my mouth to say Kelsey. Um, that guy is a unicorn, uh, as right. good a tight end as I've ever seen. But he does have what I would say is above average run after catch which some tight ends just catch it and they're going straight down. And one of the other things about him, you watch him, you know, just even if you go on and watch his highlights, <clears throat> the guy wins contested balls a lot. Great hands. He catches everything. He had, and Brownie was saying he had a couple of hundred targets and he had like four drops. And, you know, that was an issue here last year. And I know that probably is – it's not – because we did this, we're going to do this in the draft. But this is a guy that just doesn't drop the football. 
and no matter where they put it, he gives you a chance to come down with it. Yeah, he's uh, contested balls, uh, really good hands, as good a hands as anybody we saw in the draft. Um, and, and you love that because you're right. We did have some some drops at moments last year, and and you know we want to we want to improve that as a team. And I'm sure certain guys want to say they want to have you know a better drop rate you know this year in 2023. So now nah, he'll be um, he'll be a great weapon that we can use in various you know former fashions. You know Dorsey can run in behind the line of scrimmage. He's not going to be that what I was trying to say. He's not going to be that traditional in line wide blocking you know kind of yeah, tight end. Right. Osiris, I'm sure you hope, is a player that can help you in pass protection and in the run game. In which area, if he wins a spot, do you think he helps you in sooner? Um, probably pass. Okay. You know, I just think he's really stout. Um, you're, you're not going to run down his cylinder. He's 335 pounds. Um, he, he can anchor. He's got size 17 shoes. Like, he just – he can anchor in the ground. You're going to have to work his edges, but what help – you know, guys that are heavy – um, sometimes they get worked on their edges. The thing that helps him is he's got really long arms, and so that helps him reach these guys when they do work his edge. And it's it's a matter of just holding it long enough. He's, you know, as you, it was mentioned the other night, he's been around a quarterback that's been mobile and having to you know sustain those blocks and uh, stay on guys and and, and such. But um, we we like him in both. He he moves guys in the run game too. It's not that he can't yeah. do that, but. Um, being able to set a firm pocket for Josh to be able to step up uh, is really helpful. Yeah, he's got like a 99th percentile wingspan, so the guy can reach across the line of scrimmage at guys, right? I mean, yeah. he's, and plus, at, not for nothing, he's got those huge feet. He's also flat-footed, and you think, well, gosh, he's not. But when he on film, when he sets his feet and gets his base going, it, it's almost like he's got roots in the ground. I mean, yeah. you can't make the. <laughs> You can't make you haven't seen anybody, and it doesn't matter who he was playing: Georgia, Clemson, Tennessee, all these teams. They couldn't move him when he got when he got planted. I mean, that's he's really a solid base in there. Yeah, he and he is. He's got you know really good grip strength when he gets his hands on you. When he you know if he jumps at you or when he locks you down, he's just uh, he's a big man, and uh, that he uses that to his his advantage very well. Saturday night, you were saying that you're leaving the door open for Dorian to potentially compete for middle linebacker. Um, and and I'm, I'm not – I think I have this right. You were basically saying we got to see how he picks up the system to determine how long he'll remain a part of that competition because that's a lot to take on for a rookie who's yep. trying to learn one, possibly two spots. So it's not a question of physically whether he has the tools. This is strictly a learning curve thing that you're going to be monitoring, right? Yeah, spot on, uh, Chris. It's uh, that's exact. Physically, he's exactly what we want. Um, and he, he's got long arms. He's cut up top. Um, you know, the word undersized was getting used. I don't know if I'd call him undersized. He's, he's undersized if you compare him to Tremaine. But um, almost everybody. Is. Yeah, but that's that's not a fair comparison. Yeah, I think it's um, it's the same thing. Like our roster is in a different place than it was when we drafted Tremaine. And so right. I say all that that um, and he's coming from an even simpler system uh, of defense than what Tremaine was coming from from Virginia Tech. So what I was saying the other night is we don't want to overwhelm him. If we can teach him both spots, we will. But part of that may be we get to training camp, and if we feel like it's slowing him down and he can't play, then maybe we'll this year just do one spot. But this guy um, has the skill set to play both once he gets the whole defense. Right, he's a 6'1", 230 guy. And when you say 6'1", 230 is heavy. He's, he's got like you know, 0.001% body fat. I mean, he's all muscle. He's got a – and what I noticed too, he's really high motor. Yeah. The guy's got a really fast gear set. I mean – the ball snapped and he's on it. 
He's a run and chase. Like yeah. he is, he is very athletic. Like, um, and and again, that's why a lot of people you don't. See, a lot of times you see the less athletic guy playing inside because you want to make sure your your most athletic player can match up with backs and tight ends. Hence Matt Milano, who's right. who's really good. But um, if we can, you know, if at some point down the line we get this guy where he can command the defense, know everything. It's just a lot. You know, it's not as big as from a quarterback standpoint, but it is the quarterback position of the defense. You've got to be able to not only know it yourself, mm -hmm. you've got to know what everyone else is doing to be able to make checks and calls. So that's where I just want us to be patient with him and make sure we don't put him out there before he's ready. Talking with Bills GM Brandon Bean about the 2023 Bills draft class. Um, knowing you look for these answers, I wanted to ask you about this because I've read in more than one place there are a lot of people who, you know, report on the draft, cover the draft, that said Justin Shorter could be a better pro than he was a college player. I think most people that have read up on him know by now he was the number one high school recruit at the wide receiver position over guys like Jamar Chase, Jalen Waddell. I mean, some big names here and there. Yeah. But then his college career, doesn't he doesn't maximize that potential. Knowing the homework you and your scouts do, what did you uncover as to why – that was, you know, and, and why maybe he didn't live up to the billing he got coming out of high school. Yeah, I mean, he is a, he's a good-looking dude. Like, yeah. I mean, he, he's 6'4 plus, 230 pounds. Like, um, he, he looks how you would want to build one prototypically. And so we just feel like, listen, let's get him in there, get him in our system. He's a hard worker. He's got the DNA. A lot of times the DNA tells you, is the guy, is he just fine with where he's at or he wants to be good? Part of the reason we brought him in for a 30 visit, get around him, talk to him more, and understand what happened at Penn State, the transfer to, uh, to Florida, what, what went well there, what would he like to improve. And so he'd be the first to tell you he would like to have had more production, and, and I'm sure he, was, he would own up to it. The other part of him is the special teams piece. And, you know, when you're talking about in the fifth round, um, how do guys get a, get a game day jersey? And this guy, you know, he, he is strong on special teams. It'll be an easy transition for him there. The biggest thing we want to see is continue to develop as an outside receiver. And hopefully, you know, when Gabe comes out or Steph comes out, you know, hopefully in time we can put him out there and feel, you know, very comfortable that he can man that spot. He's also used to working with a quarterback like in Anthony Richardson that's a lot like the guy you've got with a big arm and an athlete and one of those guys. So that's – he got a chance to see some film with him with a guy that can really heave it. Um, that's got to help, though, when you – at the highest level, he's playing at Florida, playing against LSU, Clemson, all those teams, and getting a chance to see him in his – physically, I mean – the the guy's an all-pro. I mean, the guy's got it all physically, right? Yeah, he does. He's, he's, he, he's a build-up speed. It's not instant, but he can actually stretch the field vertically once he's up and running. You know, you got to beat press coverage. Those are one of the things he'll have to work on is continue to improve his releases and things like that. But he can definitely catch a live arm. What you're talking to, Anthony Richardson's got a strong arm just like Josh. And then it's those off-schedule plays that, that he right. made. We know Josh thrives on, on off-schedule plays. This guy knows how to continue to, to attack you know, the defense, find the holes. And so we'll teach him our system. We'll get him up to speed. Um, excited to see uh, what we can grow him into in his time here in Buffalo. So yeah, this may be the offseason that's known as the offseason of the offensive line. You got Nick Broker as well. I mean, you've, you've signed some, you know, you know the in interior offensive linemen. Um, you're a neck deep in those guys now. Yeah. And yeah. Nick Broker falls right into that 6'4", 305. He's the Kent Hull Award winner from this last year. Uh, give us your thoughts on going back to the offensive line. 
Yeah, I mean, it, that is a cool side note about the Ken Hull thing. Uh, you know, that's a great parallel that he ends up here. Um, he's, um, he's a guy that what I would say about him, he's not the sexiest athlete, but he gets his man blocked. He just blocks his and – he's, and he's not playing uh, at a Division II school. He's playing at Ole Miss in the mm-hmm. SEC. He's played left tackle. He's played guard. He snapped at the Senior Bowl. We find him as a versatile piece, and he was just too good. I honestly was looking elsewhere um, in the draft, but he was clearly at the – you know, we got the seventh round. It's like we weren't looking to add another lineman. Mm-hmm. But at some point, you just take good football players, and, uh, and, and it will all work out. This might be as deep as – you know, no disrespect to the guys that came before this crew that you got lined up on the roster now, but this might be as deep as you've ever been at the guard position. Like yeah. with all the free agents you signed, Buckyer's back. I mean, you still have Bates. As, Bates. And now you got these two kids in the draft. It's like, holy cats. Like, <laughs> you well, are. And, da- and David Edwards, don't forget about him. That's what him. I'm saying. Yeah, David yeah. Edwards and Connor McGovern. <laughs> yeah. So it's people forget because we signed McGovern that. Right. Uh, you know about David Edwards. He won a Super Bowl as a starter and has played a lot of you yeah. know, a lot of games. Tall mm-hmm. and long corners are things that are attractive to yep. you. Yep. And this kid would seem to fit that at six one. Um, what appealed to you besides just the length that you guys tend to look for? Yeah, I mean he's he's a younger kid, underclassman that came out, um, and we just feel like the size, the length, the DNA. Um, come in and teach him our defense. He didn't play in the exact scheme that we play. But, um, again, we felt the traits and the, the character and the person uh, was enough to, to bring him here and give him a shot to make our club. Yeah, 6'1", just under 200 pounds. I mean, that's, that's kind of – it's Kyrie Elam. It's all those – Tredavious, all those guys. I mean, he's going to fit right into that room. And athletically, yeah. he fits pretty well. Yeah, he does. He, he really does. He, again, it was a – that was definitely a position of need – um, as much as anything, we got down there after we took broker, and we're like, "All right, who down here have we? we well, we haven't picked a DB, so we were looking at corners and safeties, and we just felt this was the best player left." I know you said because I asked you about you know your roster and where you're going to finish out at, and you said you'll be shy of 90. Yeah. Is there is that just because you want to leave yourself open to add as you move through May, June, maybe even July? Is yeah. that you just want that flexibility? What? Yeah, it is. Uh, you know, uh, to me, you you want to get to your 89, 90, somewhere around 88 to 9. We've shown up to training camp with 88 before. Right. right. Um, it's really making sure you have the depth at, at the positions. Okay, are any players going to start on PUP? You know what I mean? Von Miller, you know, right. may, may start on PUP. So making sure we have enough ends. Is Tommy Doyle going to be back, you know, to start training camp or not? So – by the time we get there, I got to make sure we have enough guys at every position. But um, there's, to me, there's no rush. Let's get because what you, I've been a part of it, and I and I said if I'm ever running a team where we filled it up to 90 right after the draft, and then things happen, and you're already cutting a guy that you never gave a look to, and you're calling the agent, and you're saying, well, it's just a numbers thing, and the guy's like, well, I wouldn't have signed with you after the draft if I knew you were going to cut him. So I right. just. I always, you know, tell our coaches and scouts, like, we don't have to be at 90 the minute the draft ends. Like, yeah. uh, let's sign good players that at a minimum we think they're going to be a really good practice squad player. Easier to add yeah. than to have to shuffle the deck. It is. And, and, and listen, there's going to be more players. We know that. People are going to have gotten drafted over this weekend, and someone's going to say, you know what, I can shed $3 bucks. I just drafted a guy in the third round that, mm-hmm. that can beat him out. So we want to keep ourselves open to uh, veterans, um, guys that, uh, hey, a rookie 
uh, mini camp comes up and, and there may be a guy that we've signed guys out of there, uh, Jamarcus Ingram last year yeah. out of there who, who's on our roster, another tall, long corner that we like and we want to see this year. So we just want to keep spots open and, and kind of take it slowly. When we get to camp, we'll be at that 89-90. Do you get these guys that, that you're going to sign as rookie free agents like, uh, you know, DJ um, – I can't remember his last name. Dale. DJ Dale. Oh, DJ Dale. DJ Dale, who you signed today as a D. Do you get the feeling now? Have you told and maybe some agents and representations that you kind of do a, another different player with? Like you look, listen, like Alex Austin. He's your seventh round pick, but you know, look at our guy last year, Christian Benford. I mean, he's going to get a shot. Yeah. No, I mean, we we definitely point. That's to, got to go a little bit of ways with these agents who bring their kid in and say, "Well, listen, they 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 give you a shot." Yeah. They, we we um we ran a stat that. We gave our undrafted rookies more preseason playtime than any team uh, last season. And so uh, they're going to get a chance to showcase what they can do. We talk about the, the Levi Wallaces, the Cam Lewises, um, all these right. guys that have come in and played Tyrell Dotson that were undrafted mm -hmm. and played. And, you know, listen, we um, – Quentin Morris. Like, we kept him over O.J. Howard, who we paid money to. You know, that's not a great conversation. I got to explain to the Pagulas that uh, that I, you know, right. I I gave money to this guy and it didn't work out. The undrafted kid we had here all along beat him out. But it's it's best man wins. We don't care where you're drafted, how much your you know how much your salary is, and and I think agents know that when they send their players here. Yeah. Brandon, thanks for coming in. Great to see you. We know you're man. still uh, doing some shuffling on the roster, so thanks for giving us some time. We appreciate yeah, it here. You got and it. Kind of sharing some insight with the fans today. Sneak in a nap this afternoon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> See what you can do. Uh, <laughs> adrenaline's still flowing. Yeah, soon I, enough. Yeah, I yeah. believe it. Good All right, stuff. that's Bill's awesome. GM, Brandon Bean, joining us here on One Bills Live. We'll take a break. Be back with more of your phone calls next. Stay tuned. All right, welcome back to One Bills Live. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you. Our thanks to Brandon Bean, who uh, gave us some valuable time to shed some insight on some of the Bills' picks in the 2023. Actually, we got through all of them there in the 2023 draft class. Yeah, there's only six of them, so. Yeah, um, and he's still working. <laughs> but it is interesting. I kind of I asked him the question on Saturday night. I said, you know, you've only got six draft picks. Are you anticipating having a larger undrafted rookie class because of that you know you got to fill out the roster and he's like eh, not necessarily we may only get to about 85 by yeah, the time right. i have the undrafteds done and i sign a veteran free agent or two one of which he's done already in latavius it Mark. makes some sense um i the the league is now is when i when I, just before i got into the national football league 40 years ago there was this thing where they had like 110 guys in training camps you know, but training camp back then was six weeks long. You had four preseason games, two weeks before the first preseason game. And there was still, there was still that thought that guys would come in and get in shape to play. Mm -hmm. Of course, everything has changed now. These guys are making money enough that they're professional athletes year-round. They've got their own personal private trainers. They show up and they have off-season stuff that going on that they stay in shape. They throw together. They work out together. Uh, it's completely different. And they... When I came into the league, it was back – now it ha you can only get, like, 90 guys in. There's nothing that says you got to have 90 guys and max it out because particularly as a team like Buffalo, and you heard him, you want to be able to tell this guy and this agent and this school and make it known that when you get signed by this team, you're going to have a legitimate shot to make an, an NFL roster. Look. 
You're gonna you're not a camp body. You're not gonna come in, take a few reps, get in one preseason game, and then get cut. You're gonna get a chance to take some reps, some meaningful reps to further your career. It goes a long way when you're going through these rookie free agent periods mm-hmm. and when you draft a guy. You know, Dorian Williams and these guys and and uh, you know. Forget about Kincaid, but Justin Shorter, Nick Broker, all these guys are going to get a shot at making a team. On a very good roster already. On a really good roster. It's not always, it has not always been that way, and it's still not that way everywhere in the league. Um, it's just not. And to be able to sit there and say, you know what, this kid's got a chance at a guy like Alex Austin. You, you saw what happened with Christian Benford last year. The guy yeah, was a sixth-round sixth throwaway pick. From an FCS school. Right. He's a throwaway pick. Uh, yeah, okay, or whatever. All of a sudden, the guy's starting on opening day and played well. Yeah. Um, it, it, it means something at, a de- at the second level, at the, at the level where you're doing right. business. And, and the stat that he mentioned was really interesting to me. They gave more snaps – to undrafted players in the preseason than any other team in football. So even if your guy doesn't make the Bills roster, he's got valuable tape to show to the 31 other teams if he's looking for a job if he doesn't make the 53 here or the practice squad. That's right. Um, It means something. So going a a few light on the roster coming into training camp, I love it. Um, I really do. Because, you know, if something pops up, get him. you got a spot for him. You don't have to – you know, release a guy who you gave your word to uh, before he even gets a chance to take a rep. Right. I, I just think it's a smart way to go, particularly at this time. Certainly they could go to camp with 90 guys, but they don't need to be there until the day before training camp. Just so you know, uh, with the length of time that we spent with Brandon, our clock's a little out of whack, so we got to take a break here. But when we come back, we will get to your phone calls, 803-0550, the number to get on board. What's your biggest takeaway from the Bills 2023 draft class? Hit us up and let us know next here on One Bills Live, presented by Collida Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio. Presented by Kaleida Health. All right, hour number two here on the Monday after the 2023 NFL Draft. The Bills with a six-player haul in all. Entered day three with just two picks, but Brandon Bean traded down three times. That's the one thing we didn't talk to him about. Trading back three times on day three. Got a pick back in the seventh to add and also got two sixth-round draft choices for next year, which gives them a current total of nine. If they get the compensatory for Tremaine, it will be ten draft choices next year. Pretty intriguing. We do want to get right back to the phones at 803-0550, to get your thoughts, your biggest takeaways from the Bills' 2023 draft class. So let us know. We do have an open line for you, but we lead off with Ian in Perry. What do you got for us, Ian? You're on One Bills Live. 
Hey, Brownie. What's up, guys? Um, I have been thinking a lot about the two tight end sets that the Bills could roll out this season. Mm-hmm. And I think my main takeaway is that there seem to be two camps. Like, we're going to run the ball a lot more. We're going to throw to one of the tight ends a lot more, or maybe both. And uh, those people, I think, are limiting the possibilities for what the Bills offense could do with two tight ends. So I propose uh, a third camp. Um, and my theory is that the, the Bills are trying to attack the too high shell that they get uh, from a lot of defenses. Um, I just did some research online and saw that a common way to attack that is uh, deep corner routes um, to draw the safeties and some stuff working the flats. Um, so you do like a high-low concept on either side. And what struck me was that the running back runs the flat and the tight end runs the flat. And so we've got this slot wide receiver concept with Kincaid that everybody's kind of uh, excited about. But I wonder if we're shifting more towards uh, just a different style of offense to compete against uh, the, the shift in defense that we've seen stop the Bills and the Chiefs. Yeah, I, I think so. And thanks for the call, Ian. I, there's... There are a lot of options at Ken Dorsey's disposal, and I would not dismiss this. Ken Dorsey was the quarterback's coach in Carolina when the Bills had Jeremy Shockey and Greg Olson. Not the Bills, the Panthers. Yeah, when he was in Carolina, right. he was the quarterback's coach. When the, sorry, when the Panthers had Jeremy Shockey and Greg Olson. And those two worked pretty harmoniously together, and they made a ton of plays in the middle of the field. Um, I'm wondering if he has stuff tucked away in the nether regions of his playbook that he would like to pull out now that he has Kincaid and Knox, who are pretty similar in terms of body types, Shockey comparable to Knox, and obviously Olsen comparable to Kincaid. Might he pull some things out of that archive and incorporate them into this offense. I think that's a distinct possibility. Some of what you described, Ian, is certainly an option as well. And even if you do all that and you have a back and Knox running in the flat, now you send Kincaid over the middle. Now, granted, you only got five to protect on that, so you got to get it out fast. But that's tough because you can't double everybody. And if the safeties are going to play you know, shell over the top and roll coverage – you got the middle of the field all to yourself with Kincaid, and he's probably going to win there. Yeah, and I, th- those are all possibilities. I, I think what you want to do as an NFL offense, theoretically, is be able to put out a high-quality production in any personnel group out of any formation in order to get the right matchup to enhance that production. Yeah. So I don't think the Bills have been really happy or – inclined to go two tight ends with the guys they had on the roster before. That doesn't mean they can't go four wide as well or five wide as well. You want to go be able to go from five wide to 13 personnel. It, it all and everything it in between more three tight ends, four tight ends and an overload and with an offensive lineman as a tight end. You want to go from that heavy with a fullback all the way out to five wide spread the field shotgun and everything in between. And theoretically, you want all five of those wide receivers or all five of those tight ends to be able to split out, flanker, go to the wide side, to the short side. You know what I'm saying? You're not going to be able to do that because you're not going to have enough guys that can do those skill sets. But the closer you get to that, the more flexible you are offensively to do anything you can dream up and win the matchup. 
against whatever defense you happen to be playing. So if they, if, if they come out and they got five corners on the field, you want to go out and be able to go either three tight ends and spread the field and match up with a small corner on a big tight end or go heavy and run it, up, run it right over them. Yeah, run it over a small so nickel. That's where you want to be as an offense. And I think a guy like Dalton Kincaid, along with Knox, obviously gives you two big body guys that a defense has to make a decision about. Yeah. Can they win those matchups in whatever way the defense decides to deploy against you? We'll see. But that's the idea. So, you know, the Bills aren't going to go, oh, man, we're, now we're going to go all this too tight end. They may, they're going to do some of it, maybe more of it. Yeah. But they, almost, they also might go more five wide, too. With right. Hardy and Sherfield and Davis and Diggs and Khalil Shakir. Right. So all of that's got to be on the table. That's where you're at. So, yeah, Dalton Kincaid fits into there somewhere. And what he comes in and is able to do remains to be seen. Right. And I think it's important to say when we say more 12 personnel, the highest 12 <laughs> personnel usage teams in the league are only like 24%. It's not the bread and butter of almost any team in the league, maybe with the exception of the Ravens, who run teams. it who run it all day long. Right. You know, so when we say more twelve personnel, don't think that that's going to be the main calling card of this offense. It's probably not. It's probably still going to be eleven Could personnel, be. and Kincaid's on the field as the single tight end, and then maybe Knox is, and they may be switching in and that's, out. It's the old adage: you get good football players, and your good football players, no matter what the other team does, are going to be good and productive. So you're going to the reason the Bills are good and play a lot of eleven personnel is because that's the best way to move the football with Josh Allen as the guy pulling the trigger. Mm -hmm. Now they may find a way to make Josh Allen even better as a quarterback by putting two tight ends out there and spreading them around, or they may find a better way by getting him a faster guy and you know and put shorter out there you know now he you know justin shorter's out there now along with gabe davis steph diggs and khalil shakir now you got four guys out there and he gives you that matchup you like so all of that's on the table uh and teams that run a lot of 12 like the, the teams that are at the 24 percent of their they're the most productive out of that that's why they yeah. run it and that's what the bills have got to find yeah. they can do the one question i also wanted to ask brandon we ran out of time I found it pretty interesting in a draft full of undersized receivers, the two pass-catching targets that the Bills add are 6'3 and, and 6'4 and walk in the door as the second and third tallest receivers in the entire core after Dawson Knox, who's 6'5. Right. I, I don't think that's an accident either. Right. In an and I was, we were going through down the list, and I was picking out all every wide receiver prospect that was like 6'3 or above, 6'4. Yeah. And there, there, was and a, there were some of them. They were down the list, but they were there. And they had some traits. They, yeah. were, they were running 4'3s, four 4'4s, four and they were 6'4", 228, that kind of just like uh, Justin Shorter is. They were out there, but they had to go down the list to get them. And I should mention that Desmond Patton, Patman is on this roster, and he is 6'4 as well. But in terms of the regulars that we've seen on the field – those two draft choices that catch passes, they walk in the door as some of the tallest on the roster. Let's get back to the phones, though, and to a person who's been waiting patiently, Sarah in Penfield. What do you got for us, Sarah? Hey, guys. I, I have to say I thought the draft went really well, especially considering we didn't have the best numbers. It wasn't like we were drafting number one or number two. 
Um, I was really excited about Kincaid when I called a couple weeks ago. I talked about tight ends, and I was hoping that Mm -hmm. seeing that the wide receiver class was not the best, that a good tight end was going to really help us be more versatile in the reception end. Um, I think Shorter's going to help. I'm really excited about this year, and I'm looking forward to to uh, training camp here in Rochester. All right. Yeah, Thanks, you should. Be, listen, right, you sh- there's no reason not to be excited about this team. Hope springs eternal after the draft, doesn't it? For, even without this. <laughs> I told you, even without this draft. Th- this team can win this division with the guys they had without Dalton Kincaid, Nick Broker, Justin Shorter, Dorian Williams, um, and Osiris Torrance. They can still win the division without any of those guys. That's how good this roster is. And if Brandon Bean hits a home run on this roster, with, on this draft, with this draft class, if Kincaid starter and Osiris Torrance is a 10-year starter and all this stuff and and uh, Justin Shorter becomes a fixture on the team even if he's a special teams player you know all these guys Dorian Williams turns all this stuff if he does it this in drafting at the bottom of the round with only six picks that's a master class in how to draft mm-hmm. that's a tough call that's a tough ask six picks is all you get and you're at the bottom of every round that's really difficult to make a really significant contribution to your team. But there's every reason I think this these guys have got a chance to do that. It's yeah. and that'll be pretty cool if you can get it done. Let's get back to the phones. 803-0550-188-550-2550. Got an open line for you there if you want to chime in. What's your biggest takeaway from the Bills 2023 draft class? We go to John in Jamestown next. What do you got for us, John? Hey, how you doing guys? Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um you know, I just want to remind all the Bills fans, we we only lost three games last year by a total of eight points. We were basically 11 points away from being undefeated in a season that had more things happen during the season than I think ever yeah. could have happened to any team. I think that Brandon Bean has been an exceptional GM. He's dra- his draft picks have been great. Everything's been great. You know, Good. Let everybody in the outside world hop off the Bills bandwagon. Let them jump off the, you know, jump to this team, jump to that team. This team, all the Jets, big deal. They got a 40-year-old quarterback who couldn't beat us last year anyhow. We kicked his butt. Um, So I I, I just want to, I want the Bills fans to be more enthusiastic and upbeat. This is great. I've been a Bills fan forever. I went to the last game ever at War Memorial, the first game ever at Rich Stadium. Uh, you know, I'm, you know, in my mid to late 60s, I, I'm an older guy, but I've been a Bills fan forever and went through a lot of years, a lot of long, bad years. And we've got nothing but good things ahead of us. And I just want people to turn to that. That's really all I had to say. All right, John. Thanks go. for brightening our spirits on this Monday. Much appreciated. Um, He's on it. I'm, yeah, I'm in that you're, camp you're, with you. you're basically speaking Steve's language because he said it over and over and over again, and you essentially parroted it, so it doesn't need yeah. repeating. I, I, I love the fact that the Jets are the darling of the offseason. Oh, my gosh. That's awesome. Um, they I can have, no have it. with that. We were there last year. Yeah, and we, you, know, you saw what it got. It just got them all this attention. Listen, the Bills lived up to it. Don't kid yourself. The well, Bills I know. 13-3, and three, and without two or three catastrophic occurrences to their off season and and during season they they sail through the entire conference so and they're going to they're going to bring those guys back they had more injuries last year than they'd had in the t- previous two years combined yep. uh let alone what happened with DeMar 
you can say the tragedy that struck Dawson Knox and his family, uh, Kim Pagula, uh, the May 14th uh, mass shooting. It was snow, thing after two thing. Snowstorms. Two snowstorms. Two catastrophic snowstorms. Relocated game. Relocated game. Um, relocated home game. Yeah. So, yeah, and, and, and all the naysayers out there are going, eh, you know, they're poo-pooing it because you're making excuses. Listen, those are reasons, not excuses. And they're for real. I'm As a player, some of the stuff they went through this last offseason was, you know, I don't know how you get your mind around it. Um, and yet they persevered. And they lost, like you said, in the regular season, they lost three games by a total of eight points. And two of them, there was one game last year where I thought, yeah, okay, I'll take the loss on that. And it was the Jet game in New York in MetLife. Other than that, those other two games were absolutely slipped through the fingers of the team, the better team. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so there you have it. Um, I'm, uh, I'm very – I'm still really positive and enthusiastic about the chances this team has of coming in next, this coming year and playing extremely well. They're in a really uh, – let's face it, they are in the conference in the NFL. The AFC is a gauntlet. It is an absolute – it's an absolute dogfight, a dogfight. And the NFC this year is the relegation league in European football. Um, Philly's going to – there's nobody over there. There's just nobody over there that, that would even be a favorite in an AFC division. <laughs> Philly might. I don't know. Maybe Philly would be the favorite in the AFC South. That's it. That is it. Yeah. So – yeah, it's and you'll see it. Um, the Bills are going to come out and they're going to play extremely well and they're going to be a really tough team to beat. They're not. I'm not saying they're going to go undefeated and all of that stuff. No, they're in a really tough race, and the the Jets and the Dolphins continue to play extremely well and do a lot of good things in the off season. They're going to. They're both those teams are going to be a handful this year. Patriot. The Patriots are always a handful for everybody for whatever reasons. But you know, so this is it's it's not going to be easy. But let me tell you something. For as tough as it is and, and for as good as these other teams sound, the Bills are on their schedule, and those teams aren't looking past that game. Um, that tells you all you need to know. The Bills are going to be a tough out, a really tough out. Yeah. And they got better this offseason. They really did. They got better. And they're getting better just by getting healthy. So I'm, I'm, I'm with you, John, in, in Rocha, in Jamestown. I'm – there's a lot to love about this team. Let's go back to the phones and to Leroy in Buffalo. What do you got for us, Leroy? Hello, guys. Nice to talk to you guys again. Good to have you. I love you guys. I love your radio show. Oh, thanks. Okay, I was a little concerned going into the draft and then we picked the tight end. Uh, it wasn't what I wanted because after we lost to the Cincinnati Bengals, I felt we needed to – beef up our offensive and defensive line. Yeah. But when you look at the draft, which we really didn't need a lot of picks, I love what Brandon Bean did. He brought some big young guys in that play in the offensive line and what he did in the free agency. And so I'm pretty pleased with the draft because I was a little worried about Cincinnati playing them again, the Jets and Miami moving up. And I'm not worried about Aaron Rodgers because we always play him well. Yeah. And I thank you all for Listening to me to talk, and Steve Taster, I still love your family. 
my son is just in love that play at St. Francis with with your son. Yeah. And I love you guys. I'm going to hang up and listen. To All you. right. Well, that's nice. Thanks, I, hope, I hope you're doing well. It's good to hear from yeah. you. Thanks for calling. Appreciate that. I mean, I would say this. Brandon Bean, and I didn't press him on this here, but he did state this on Saturday night when the draft was over. He was disappointed that he couldn't get a defensive tackle in the draft. And he said sometimes it's just the way the board falls. It doesn't fall your way, and the value just isn't right to take a position that you may want. And on day three, sometimes GMs will gravitate ever so slightly more to positional need because a lot of their grades on their board come day three are in pretty close proximity. You have clusters of players at different positions, but they're graded in the same general area. And you say, all right, well, let, we, we could use a DT here. Let's drift towards need a little bit. But where they were picking in the rounds, it just never fell right where the value was there for them for a defensive tackle. So after the draft on Saturday night, when he was speaking to the media, he said, we may look to add a veteran or two, knowing they came up empty at the defensive tackle position. So he, we know he's still working on the roster, so let's wait and see and see if something comes down the pike on that front. Um, they have four veteran guys already on the roster. They also have Brandon Bryant, who was up and down off the practice squad the last couple of years and you know is a capable fifth guy in case of injury. And they still have Ilianku here, who I know is not a sexy player because he's a stand-in-there-and-grind kind of guy. They have, they have people here. Does he decide to try to upgrade even further with free agents that might be out there on the market? We'll see. Yeah, let's not forget they're in a pretty good spot the way it is with their roster where it's at. And, and certainly um, one of the reasons we, we spoke about defensive tackle in the lead-up to the draft is because all the guys are going to be out next year yeah, after expiring the, contracts they're all every last one of them is on an expiring contract so uh, they got to do something they're going to be bereft of bodies let alone talent so it's always a concern for that long term but for the short term and for the here and now they're right they're as, as good as you know and they're in as good a spot as they were last year when they were the number two overall defense in the league so yeah. they'll be fine um but they need to stay healthy no question about it i mean that that's one of the things that we kind of had gotten to the point where we were taken for granted every year. Uh, and then last year when they got nipped by the injury bug all over the roster with some pretty prominent players, yeah, it kind of for the first time showed us what maybe some other teams had been through. Break time for us here. More of your phone calls when we return. Your biggest takeaways from the Bills 2023 draft class. If we have time, too, we're going to go around the NFL. Fifth-year option deadline. Who is pulling the trigger on exercising a fifth-year option on their former first-round pick, and who is not? We'll tell you when we return. Here on One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health, it's Buffalo Bills Radio. Back on One Bills Live, Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you on a Monday with the draft class fully in tow. All six players coming to One Bills Drive in just a week or so from now for rookie minicamp. Um... So that'll be exciting when these guys get on site. I mean, uh, Osiris Torrance and Dalton Kincaid already got a run of the place. They were here over the weekend. Steve, I got a chance to shake Osiris Torrance's hand. My <laughs> hand disappeared. Yeah. His his fingers pretty much went halfway up my forearm. Um, he's got meat hooks for hands. 
when he puts his hands when he puts his hands on defensive linemen, they usually do not escape. Yeah. And I know I was watching it this morning, the Florida Georgia tape. Now he was matched up with Jalen Carter on a number of plays. He did not win all of them, but he won his fair share. And if you can do that against the top ten draft choice, who some thought was the best player in the entire class. I am optimistic about that cat. I am too. He's he's a big dude too. Big heavy body. He <laughs> when he plays, I'm not saying he, he he's got quick feet, he does all that stuff, he moves, he gets to the second level, all of that stuff, but he looks heavy and big. when those guys hit him, they yeah. you know, you, you see guys they they just don't move him. Well, I saw a you guy know? so they're playing Georgia. And one of their linebackers is triggering on a delayed blitz. And he's in the gap. And this guy is taking a 10-yard run at him. Now, he's only about 240. But he's taking a 10-yard run at him. And Osiris is just standing there. And he just he just sucked him up. Yeah. And didn't even move. Like, did not take a single step backwards. And I was just yeah. like, okay. He just, <laughs> yeah, it's like pretty good. It's like the kid ran into a, a big wall. wall. Yeah, yeah, he just stopped. It was and impressive. That's what you see, even when he's, you know, even down in the, in the trenches, when he leans into somebody, he they don't stand him back up. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. Um, so that'll be fun to watch, and you know, training camp is, you know, once again, it's going to be an exciting time. Right. And right now, like if you had to handicap it right now, Steve, the two biggest position battles today. This is subject to change, of course. If you had to pick the two biggest position battles today, it's middle linebacker and right guard. Because right guard has Ryan Bates, Osiris Torrance, and David Edwards. Hello. And then middle linebacker, you got the crew, Tyrell Dotson, Terrell Bernard, possibly Dorian Williams, and Balen Spector. A.J. Klein, the way Brandon Bean put it on Saturday night, sounds like the insurance policy. Right. He's going to back up both spots, Milano and middle linebacker. And I guess if all else fails and they're not happy with any one of those guys trying to fill Tremaine Edmonds' spot, maybe it's Klein um, that gets plugged in there. You know, it's also tr- true, too, that there's going to – I hadn't thought about it, but who's going to play CB2? Kair, Christian Benford, or is Benford going to go to safety? Dane Jackson. Yeah, I mean, I would anticipate it's Elam. When all is said and done, that may not be how it looks at the start of training camp. But I think when all is said and done, it should be the two first-round draft choices. <laughs> Call me crazy. Maybe. We thought that last year, too. And then what happens? In, and they said that well, they I were I like the way about, Elam finished last year. That's sure. why I feel that way. But he finished that way because Benford was hurt. Yep. He had a busted no, hand. No, you're right. You're right. And now they're talking about moving Benford to safety because he's got all those measurables, too. And – He's just the personality that's like, oh, you want me to play nose tackle? Sure. Where, where do I, you know, where's, where do the, I where's the meeting room? <laughs> yeah, right? He doesn't care. He, um, and, he'll, and he'll do whatever they ask him to do, and he'll do it extremely well. And, and, you know, nothing rattles Christian Benford. And so he, if they want to move him to safety, I'm pretty sure they're going to get a pretty good safety out of that. You know, whether he starts on this team or not, that's, an, that's another story. Mm-hmm. But if they feel like it – They'll do it, and he'll he'll make that move, and he won't. It won't even be a bump in the road for him. So, that's the kind of guy he is. That's you're right. There are some 
right guard, middle linebacker, and like I would Those say. Those are the top two right now. I, I would like who's going to sift through that corner because they got some corners that can go. And, and not to mention uh, Alex Austin in the mix as well. The new kid, because he, he's going to look exactly Jackson, like the rest. He's going to look exactly like those guys. Yep. And you just heard Brandon Bean talking about Jamarcus Ingram. You know, it was on the practice squad last year. Got plugged in in week three against Miami when half their defense was hurt. Because you got you know, Christian Benford, Kyrie Elam, Jamarcus Ingram, Dane Jackson, uh, of course, Taron Johnson, Cam Lewis. Uh, Kyler McMichael. Cam's more of a safety now. Kyler yeah. McMichael, six foot two oh two, first year player out of North Carolina. He was on the practice squad. Saran Neal, special teams guy, Tredavious, of course. So they got it's a horse race. And let me tell you something, those guys all look like they could do it physically. Yeah. So we'll see who how that sifts out. But that's another another competition in training camp we can get into. But you're right. That right guard, the offensive line is gonna be I mean, they got some guys down there, and then middle linebacker too. Because it, it's always going to look different without Tremaine in there. Because Tremaine, I mean, was yeah. looked different when he was in there. But they've got a bunch of guys in there now that are. It's going to be who knows the most, and who's best athlete. You know, who can make plays. And I think, you know, not for nothing, I think they're miss Tremaine, but I think they got a chance at having a guy in there that can make more plays mm-hmm. because just because of. The instinctiveness and you know the fact they change, change direction a little better. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. I think they're going to be happy with the guy they pick in there, though. Let's get back to the phones, though, for your thoughts on what your biggest takeaway was from the 2023 draft class for the Bills and to John in Buffalo. What do we got, John? Let's get back to the phone, John, pick up Hello? your phone. Yeah, we got you. What's up? Uh, first of all, um, thank you for taking my call, Steve and uh, Chris. Sure. Um, I love your professionalism. When la- I know I forgot if it was last week or the week before when the guy talked about the my handler and all that. Yeah. You know, y'all were very professional. I mean, I could see we it tried. when y'all when y'all get emotional, y'all it's a vein that pops up to Steve's head that makes me laugh. <laughs> Steve's pissed. Steve's pissed. <laughs> As it, but your hands look great. But I just wanted to say about I, I love the tight end pick. Listen, I don't think we need a second receiver. I think Gabe Davis is capable. It was just he was hurt last year. When that guy's healthy, watch it. That's my opinion. You know, I think we got a bunch of guys that could do the job. Um, what I really would like to say is that Buffalo fans, if you're true Bills Mafia. You appreciate what we got because this team is mentally tough to prepare us for the coming year. I mean, I'm glad nobody's talking about us. We play better when we're the underdogs. So that's all I got to say, and I want to thank y'all for for your show. This is like my, I told my wife every time, I got to go watch my soap opera. Oh, Steve and Chris, I said, absolutely. That's my soap opera. <laughs> well, <laughs> it was for a short you. time last week, John. Thanks for the call. We appreciate it. Yeah, sorry. Fire was coming out of my eyes for a short stint there. Um, and, yeah, the vein was popping on Steve's head. But we got it squared away and um, tried yeah, to do it as professionally most, as we could. Most fan, bases, most fan bases are much more comfortable being the chaser. And there's no question yeah. the Bills are out of the spotlight in, in a lot of regards from where they were a year ago. Fine a year me. ago, everybody spoke, was talking about the Bills. You couldn't get around it. They were the team. They were going to do uh, – this year, with largely the same – roster and in some ways like i told you even better down inside um 
they're completely off the radar. Yeah. Well, people and, are gaga for the Jets. And I get it. I, and the Jets, for the second offseason in a row, seem to do, have been done it right. Which is new. Yeah, I mean, their draft class was not nearly as good as it was last year. Granted, it was easier last year with three first-round picks, but they, listen, they the did Jets, okay in the, the draft. The I Jets wasn't killed impressed. it last year. They got the offensive rookie of the year and the defensive rookie of the year. That, that's unprecedented. So the Jets killed it a year ago. It's going to be hard for them to follow up with that kind of success. But they did get Aaron Rodgers this just in. The Jets are a problem for everybody now that they play. They had a really nice roster last year. Robert Sala has finally got a guy that can pull the trigger in New York that'll know what he's doing, and it's going to make all the difference for them, theoretically. we still got to play these games, but there's every reason to believe the Jets got significantly better. Um, it's going to be a fun division, I think, a really fun division. Yeah. Um, let's get around the NFL here quickly. I know we're doing this later than we usually do, but it is fifth-year option decision time uh, for teams around the league with their first-round picks uh, from the 2020 draft. Obviously, the Bills are not impacted by this. They did not have a first-round pick in 2020, but there were some decisions that have been made, according to reports. So the Browns are going to pick up their fifth-year option on left tackle Jedrick Wills which guarantees him a salary of $14.25 million next year. Panthers picked up the fifth-year option on defensive tackle Derek Brown's contract. That was not a surprise. He was a top-five pick. The Jaguars, however, are not picking up the fifth-year option on edge rusher uh, Caleb on Chason. He's kind of had an up-and-down career down there. Um, so he enters a contract year now. And look – some of these players would almost prefer to become a free agent and have 32 teams bidding on their sure. services rather than signing a fifth-year option and working on an extension with one team. Let the whole league have at you and see what happens. The Saints, this one was interesting, Steve. The Saints are not picking up the fifth-year option on center Cesar Ruiz. Um, now, that might be because they're always up against the cap in such horrible fashion every year anyway. Mm -hmm. The thought of adding a salary prematurely kind of cuts against the grain of what they try to do with their creative accounting every spring. Um, and then the Broncos are picking up the fifth-year option on wide receiver Jerry Judy, a receiver that was rumored to be shopped very early on in the offseason. I think that was tamped down considerably after Sean Payton was named head coach, as he made it clear. I mean, I think the Broncos only had four or five picks in the draft after giving up the farm yeah, he for Russell injured. Wilson. And he's looking around going, well, if I only got five draft picks Let's and I got Cortland going. Sutton, Jerry Judy in-house, like why am I going to ship one of those guys out? Right. Jerry Judy only played in like – when he came back and he played like in five games or six games, and he was on pace for like 100-plus catches on the year for 1,400-plus yards. That's the kind of pace he was on through those games he played in. So it wasn't like he was he's an ineffective wideout. He was just injured for most of the season. So when he came back, the guy was a difference maker. And for whatever reason, it was put out there he was going to be shopped as a trade, you know, candidate. And you're right. Sean Payton got in there and said, whoa, 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 whoa. whoa yeah, what that. are you doing? Have you seen <laughs> this guy play, by the way? You yeah. know, right? So um, he's not going anywhere. And um, – Certainly the asking price is the only reason it didn't happen for the Broncos because everybody knew what a good player he was, including the Broncos. 
We take a break here. When we return, we'll let you know what other teams in the league we thought had a pretty bang-up draft this weekend. We'll have those for you when we return. Here on One Pills Live, presented by Collider Health, it's Buffalo Bills Radio. Welcome back to One Bills Live. Chris Brown, Steve Tasser. We're going to give you our thoughts on some other teams that lit it up in the draft. Uh, you know, we know that there's some favorites out there that we've seen everywhere, but who, did you have a couple of teams that you really liked what they did? Or um, Most of them, like, I liked Anthony Richardson going to Colts, the Colts, um, and I liked them getting the Northwestern kid that added Tim, Timwa. Adebore, yeah, uh, defensive tackle. He's a kid that really emerged late in the draft process after the, you know, when he he tested off the charts after having just, you know, he's at Northwestern, they didn't, you know, Big Ten school, but they didn't win too many games. Uh, I thought that was, you know, I thought they, they did pretty well, um, particularly with new head coach um, and trying to finally fix their quarterback issues. I thought Anthony Richardson's fallen to them. Anthony Richardson's or Will Levis fallen to them was was, yeah. a, was a godsend for them. And they got lucky, and Houston pulled an absolute idiocy and, and traded up to the third spot. So they knew Gave they up a lot for that. Yeah, um, I know everybody under the sun picked Philly and Seattle, and they did have good draft classes, no question about it. I thought Pittsburgh hit it out of the park. Broderick Jones at 14. They get great value at the top of round two with Joey Porter, who's a great physical corner, just didn't test well. Right. And then they get Keanu Benton in the third round, the defensive tackle of Wisconsin, Darnell Washington in the fourth, and then an edge rusher in Nick Herbig, also from Wisconsin. I mean, that's a heck of a haul there. Yeah. Giants did well. Tampa did well. And I hate to say it, I think Kansas City did pretty well, too. Well, but the Bills did well, all right. There's always the New England Patriots taking a kicker and a punter. Good for them. <laughs> they do their own thing. Steve and I will see you tomorrow at 1 for a Tuesday edition of One Bills Live.